Good morning, church. He is risen. Yes, indeed. We're going to be in a few different passages in God's word today. So the passages are going to be put up on the screen. Or if you're taking notes, you'll see the passages in, in your notes. We're in a series, just started it last week, and the series is called Inklings. So how the Old Testament points us to Jesus. So last week we looked at the blood, which is really what John Tice was just talking about, this this story of the blood of the lamb shed in the Old Testament pointing forward to the lamb of God himself, Jesus, who dies on the cross and sheds his blood to take away our sins. That's what we saw last week, a truth that is so deeply life-changing and really sits right at the core of the Christian faith is atonement and resurrection. Good Friday, better Sunday, right? So we're, we're fixing on those two truths. And really, this is going to be a four-part series. Again, this is week two. And in each one of these weeks, what we're looking at is four ways that the Bible depicts God's rescue in Christ. And so we move from having looked at blood last week, the theme of blood, to now this week, the theme of breath. Breath. So think about breath. You've probably breathed, on average, 70 to 75 times since I started this message. I looked up last night, how many times do average people breathe in a minute? And it's about 12 to 15 times. So our general estimate, ballparking it, right? 60 to 70 times you've probably breathed since I started this. There's, a, there's an app called the Calm app, and it's um, become wildly popular. I see some heads nodding in the room of maybe fellow Calm app people. Um, so it's, at first, they weren't even sure that it was going to float. They were having a hard time coming up with money, nobody was subscribing, and it looked like the thing was gonna go belly up. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, year over year, and now it's got 120 million subscribers, and the company's valued at $2 billion, which is interesting because the motto of the company is very simply, take a deep breath. And you wonder, how does somebody make $2 billion telling us to do what's an involuntary muscle? Right? If there's anything I won't need an app for, it's surely it's breathing. You come out of the womb and you know how to do this, right? Why do I need to pay people a huge am amount of money to give me an app that teaches me how to do what I knew how to do on day one? And the thing is that the researchers around the app have explored the, the idea that we live in increasingly anxious times. So that the motto, take a deep breath, resonates deeply with more and more people. 120 million people have now downloaded this app. So we saw the story of blood in the Old Testament and how the story of blood in the Old Testament points forward to the death of Christ. And we're gonna see this morning how the story of breath in the Old Testament points forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of breath has a beginning. It begins this way, from dust. From dust. The origin of human life is described on page one of the Bible with these words. It's in your notes, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Even the word, the English word human, comes from a Latin word, humus. So humus 
gives us the English word human. Humus, the Latin word, gives us the English word humility. We're born from the dirt. You look down at the dirt and that, that's where you came from. That's where we started. That, our origin story is, is God with his hands in the dirt. God with his sleeves rolled up and his hands in the dirt and he begins to form something and that something became Adam and Eve, the first parents of the human race. What, think about this. What comes to mind when you think dust? You might just write down a couple of words. Just kind of free association. I say dust, you say what? I say dust, you say dusting. Right, so already we've got negative associations associated with dust. The worst chore in the house is dusting because you dust and then what happens? You come back to the room where you started and the dust is back again, right? So we've, we've got all kinds of ways of thinking about dust. But, but then you enter into the Bible and you think about the way the Bible uses the term dust and, and dust is associated in the Bible with death. So we even say things today like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, dust is associated with death. Dust is associated in the Bible with frailty. So oftentimes when you're eavesdropping on the book of Psalms and you hear people praying and they're saying things, they're, they're saying things like, Lord, you know our frame. You remember that we are dust. You, you know that you alone are the rock and we are the dust. We are weak, we are frail. First time, though, in the Bible that we are introduced to the word dust, it has nothing to do with death. It has nothing to do with frailty. It has everything to do with life. Again, that scripture verse, Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Our oldest son, uh, his name is Hunter, he's... 24 now, but when he was, when he was really little, uh, one of the only things that he wanted to play with was, uh, was Play-Doh. And he was just constantly crafting things, making things with Play-Doh. We had every color of Play-Doh you can imagine. And he would just be in his room just working on stuff. And there was a time when he got into just making little, uh, little Play-Doh figures. And so they'd have arms and they'd have a head. And then he would kind of claim uh, these figures as his own creation and the way he would do that was uh, he went and got a toothpick and he carved the letter H into the heads of all the Play-Doh, right? So I walked into his room and I just see these Play-Doh figures everywhere and H, 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 H. Every single one of these Play-Doh figures has H carved into its head. And I thought, well, how biblical is this, right? This kid's a prodigy. He's, he's, he's bound to be a teacher of the word, right? Here's what didn't happen. Here's where the Hunter story zigs and the Bible story zags is the part where Hunter did not go on and breathe into the Play-Doh and the Play-Doh started talking, right? That's where everything would, would change, right? It'd be Toy Story. But Toy Story is great in a movie, but it would freak you out in real life, right? If you breathed over your toy box and they started talking and singing hymns to you, you'd wet your pants, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, that's really cool. Wow, didn't see that coming, right? Our origin story is a miracle. Life coming from the least likely places, the Bible's account of creation is God breathes his life into lifeless dust. We come from dust, the component parts of humanity are the dust of earth and the breath of God. God's breath breathing into lifeless dust 
and here we are. But, but the Bible goes on to explain not just where we're from, not just our origin, but what went wrong, where things went sideways. Adam and Eve, the first humans made by God, rebelled against God. And God gave them every possible means of doing the right thing. He, he created a, a paradise around. It wasn't a world filled with temptation and sin and, and so forth. It was, it was beautiful. Every provision was laid right at their feet. The pantry's full and eat it all, but just not this one. Trust me with this one. You eat this one, bad things happen. And what do they do? God walks away out of the garden. They go and reach for the forbidden fruit and it wrecks the world. The human story moves from dust to death. From dust to death, Genesis 2, 17, God said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So when Adam and Eve sinned against God the creator, there was a death, not physical death, at least not yet, that would be forthcoming. But the original death was there's a death in the relationship with God. They were unplugged from the source of life. They were disconnected. There's a chasm between humanity and God. And so in comes curses just come pouring into the world. Everything that you see on the evening news that makes this a sad world. Everything you see in your life or in your family, every, every vestige of dysfunction in this world is downstream of Genesis 3's rebellion Hatred, injustice, sickness, even natural disasters that comes pouring into the cosmos after we rebelled against God. We turned away from God and we started coming apart at the seams. We were made to breathe through fellowship with God, but after we rebelled, ever since the world has been gasping for air. And again, if you want to hear that world gasping for air, just turn on the news tonight or look outside today, or look in the mirror. Things aren't right in the world. Things aren't right in us. There's something wrong, there's something broken, and it's not just outside of us, it's inside of us as well. We all know something's wrong, right? Humanity, I think, collectively agrees something is definitely wrong. Something deep down went way wrong. The, the moment that you think you found the root, what's at the very bottom, the ultimate source of what's wrong with the world, the moment you name that thing, you've already begun to suggest to me what you think the answer is. If you name the problem in this way, then I expect you to think that the solution is going to be a certain thing, right? Here's, here's another way of saying that. Our read on humanity's deepest problem shapes the remedy we seek directly informs, directly speaks to, corresponds to the remedy that we seek. Just think about this practically. The, the remedies to some problems in the world or in our lives can sometimes be really, really straightforward. So you can't read the words on the page, it means you probably need reading glasses. You can't get your car running, it means you probably need a mechanic. You can't figure out technology, you need a teenager. Right, so there's all kinds of things that there's a relationship between the thing that's broken and the solution is right over here, right? There's a corresponding solution. Your read on the problem determines where you seek the solution. Now let's think more macro, right? That, that's kind of practical, small stuff. But let's think big, big picture, right? If the bottom of the universe, the deepest, the deepest problem is poverty, then wealth is the answer. 
then wealth will change the world. So let's just start releasing wealth and watch the world start to change once we get the money flowing, right? If knowledge is the deepest root problem in humanity, it's basically at the bottom, we're ignorant, then what's the solution? What's the savior? Education. Let's just get everybody to take these classes. Let's get everybody educated and we'll change the world. But if our deepest problem is we're dead to God, then we need a resurrection. If we've stopped breathing, then we need CPR. Don't know where it's going to come from, if that's even possible. But since we've stopped breathing, the solution, the help we're looking for is resurrection. You don't, you don't need wrinkle cream when you've got a death rattle. You need a miracle. Our deepest problem is we've been cut off from the source of life been cut off from the source of life. Um, speaking of being cut off, we have some bushes in our front yard. We have um, green bushes that have been planted in the last year or so, and we have purple bushes that came with the house, which my wife hates. She, does, she doesn't like the purple bushes, and so, you know, these freezes have been coming through, and of course the question is, which bushes come back? To life once this whole thing is over. And so as we're coming up and things are starting to warm and things are starting to grow, and we're coming up the driveway day after day after day, my wife is kind of quietly whispering two prayers, that the green bushes will live and that the purple bushes will die, right? That illustration breaks down because my wife only wants an Easter miracle for half the garden, right? So that's, that's not what's going on here in this big idea, right? But here's the thing about those purple bushes, in fairness to my wife, is um, they're not that great to look at and they eat everything you set around them. If you put another bush and that bush is just supposed to live in friendly harmony with the purple bush, the purple bush says no. Eats that bush and right, that bush just vanishes. It goes away. You see a little bit of green, a little bit of green and then it's gone. That's this purple bush kind of does. That's, that's its story. And I thought, you know, post-freeze, you could have multiple freezes. The last thing on earth that's going to die is that purple bush. You could have the coming of the apocalypse, and the last thing that lives is going to be that purple bush. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, God's people were called the Israelites. And for about 1,500 years, they were insanely resilient. Un Conquerable, unkillable, invading armies couldn't stop. Civil wars, compromised leaders from within her ranks, even natural disasters, pestilence and famine. It was, an unkill it was the purple bush of the Old Testament. It just kept bouncing back. No matter how bad the winter was, Israel keeps bouncing back and bouncing back century over century. But here's what happened. They tried to breathe without oxygen. They tried to live disconnected from God, and God sent prophets, if you will, these prophets were like lung doctors. They were pulmonologists. They were sent to stimulate Israel's broken breathing. And Israel said, you think we need a nap? You think I need a prophet to know how to breathe? We don't need you. And they sent the prophets packing. And then the unthinkable happened. Israel's centuries-long practiced idolatry plus a Babylonian invasion became something like a 6th century B.C. freeze that got into the bones. And she never bounced back. And then something really interesting happens. Israel loses the promised land. They lose their, their temple, which is their Wi-Fi signal to heaven. 
That's the place where they met with God, fellowship with God. Well, they don't have the temple anymore. Now they're living out here in Babylon because they've been invaded and conquered and exiled. And the unthinkable happens at that moment is God comes to them in Babylon and he speaks through a prophet named Ezekiel. And God gives Ezekiel a vision on the state of his people. And here's what it says, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel writes, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. So Ezekiel gets this vision and God says, I'm gonna give you a vision of the state of, of the people and it's a valley of bones, just dead bones feeling this. If you walked up on that valley of dry bones, you would assume some army died here centuries ago and now these bones have just been bleached brittle by centuries of exposure. That's the picture, the dismal picture God gives of the condition of Israel. Valley of dry bones. My, um, my older sister Lori did one of the most thoughtful things that an older sister could do for her younger teenage brothers growing up in New Orleans. She married an LSU football player. Which was so, and he had a brand newly minted 1987 Sugar Bowl ring with their victory against the Cornhuskers. And uh, I just thought that was the most awesome thing. Joe Champion, six foot five, probably 290 at the time, larger than life. And so now I meet Joe and I know someone in real life who played in a stadium called Death Valley and lived to talk about it, which is just crazy cool, right? Calling it Death Valley, obviously is a form of trash talk, right? It's, it's trash talk. It basically says, this is where your team comes to die. That's, that's the idea. Outcomes varied over the 45 years that followed. One in 1958 when it was called Death Valley. 2003 was the next time that they won the national championship, right? So outcomes varied in that particular moment. But here's the thing. In Ezekiel chapter 37, this is the original Death Valley. It's a vivid picture. This is a picture of what God sees when he looks out at the world, a valley of dry bones. And then anybody know what, what question God asked Ezekiel after he showed Ezekiel this valley of dry bones? He said, son of man, can these bones live? If you're a prophet, you've had God in your ear. It's your proficiency. It's your skill set. You're supposed to know that the answer to that question is yes. Even the tilt of the way that the question was asked implies that you're supposed to say yes, and yet here's this prophet of God named Ezekiel, and the best he can do, the most faith he can muster, is simply to say, Lord, you only know. If this valley comes alive, it's only going to be something you can do. And then God tells Ezekiel to do something really strange. He says, I'm going to put words here in your ears. You're going to speak those words to the bones in the valley, and then I'm going to do something. So you see this dynamic duo of word and spirit, proclamation of the word and the movement of the spirit, and here's how it went down, Ezekiel 37, 4. He said to me, God said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath 
to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh to grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. And you keep reading this symbolic vision and that's exactly what happens. Ezekiel starts declaring the word that God put in his ears. So he's speaking over the valley of the dry bones. And then wind comes rustling through the valley. The breath of God's spirit moves through the valley of dry bones. And then the bones started shaking and rattling and moving toward one another. And the foot bone connected to the leg bone. The leg bone connected to the... Whatever bone, well, I, I don't know. I don't know my anatomy's not appearing to me in this moment, right? But that, that song has its origin right here in Ezekiel 37. Now hear the word of the Lord, them bones, them bones gonna walk around. That's exactly what happened in this vision. Ezekiel 37 is a preview of where God is taking the world through the work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where is he taking the world? Bones, breath, life. It's the story of the Bible. Creation, decreation, new creation. Story of the Bible is God breathed into humanity on day one and we lived. Humanity rejected God and we died. We stopped breathing. And then God sent Jesus into the world for what purpose? To give the world breath again. To give the world a pulse again by faith in him. To bring us back to God. To plug us back into the source of life that we had been disconnected from from the beginning. And this is where I'm so appreciative of what Daniel was saying earlier when we were worshiping God together is this idea that it's so easy on Easter Sunday to just kind of relive the historical event of what happened 2,000 years ago and it doesn't really register an impact on our daily lives. This is not some abstract event from 2,000 years ago. If you've been disconnected from God, the good news is God can breathe in the valley. If you've not been able to breathe, the joy and presence and peace of God. He can breathe in your valley. He can breathe on the dry bones. And that's exactly what happens. You see Jesus show up in the pages of the Gospels. And what does he start saying from day one? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he would say, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and life abundant. I'm the life guy. You want to live? Come with me. You want to rest? Come with me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's the life guy. He contrasts himself from every other power and every other voice in the world. And what we start to realize when we keep reading through the pages of the Gospels is in order to give the world life, Jesus had to die. In order to break death's grip, Jesus had to die in death's grip. And so what does he do? He goes to the cross and he hangs suspended between heaven and and earth so that he might bring the two together by faith in him and he absorbs the impact of our sins against a holy God and he takes the punishment that we're due and he pays the debts that we had owed. He bears our sins in his body on the tree and in it all, if you were there looking with the natural eye on what was happening in the cross, you would think ignominy, you would think shame, those would be the words that come to your mind. It looked like in that moment death was dragging Christ to the cross, but there was a deeper magic because in the irony of God, Christ was dragging death to the grave. Something surprising, the left-handed work 
of God. Jesus is the only human who ever lived who played in Death Valley and lived to tell about it. Jesus is the only one who's ever been able to talk trash to death and back it up. He comes out of the grave and he says, what do you got? Where's your sting, death? Grave, where is your victory? The great hymn talks about this holy trash talk. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Slain at midday, buried that evening, breathing on the greatest morning in human history. Uh, That's why we sing the way we do on Easter Sunday. The empty tomb is ground zero of the new creation. And so the story God is writing has a twist ending. The story goes from dust to death, but Easter. From dust to death, but Easter. The Apostle Paul, he's writing in his letter to the church at Corinth, and he's contrasting the first Adam who blew it in the garden with the last Adam who got it back for us through the empty tomb. And here's what Paul says. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, there's the first Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. These are pregnant words. These are poignant, deeply significant words. What's it mean? It means if you put your faith In Jesus Christ, your future will be modeled not on the man who came out of the soil, but on the man who came out of the tomb. It's that good. Therefore, it should be no surprise the interesting thing that Jesus does right after he rises from the grave. He sees his disciples, and this is fascinating what he does. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you Notice this, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That is so awesome, that language, because the word for breath and the word for spirit in the original language of the New Testament is the same word, pneuma. He's saying, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Breath. I'm breathing out, you breathe in. I'll exhale, you inhale, and that's how you'll get to live. That's how new creation gets started. I breathe out, you breathe in. It'll be like day one, except everything comes alive now. Makes total sense, right? In Adam, we couldn't breathe. In Christ, a breathless world gets to breathe again. How do you receive the breath? By faith. Believe. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You do this. You inhale. Grace is God breathing out. Faith is you breathing in. You think about baptism. Christian baptism is the, is the ritual of entrance and it is deeply meaningful. When you trust in Christ, let's say, let's say this morning for the very first time in your life, you say, I wanna follow Jesus. The, the thing that John Tice was talking about in his story, that's happening to me right now and I want to respond, and I want to follow Jesus. Let's say that happens. What happens next is we meet you over here in these waters, in the baptismal. And here's what happens. You, you go underwater where you can't what? Breathe. <laughs> now, pause for a second, because the, the imagery of baptism is death and life. 
if, if you only believe in the cross, but you don't believe in the resurrection, your baptism is going to look really morbid because it means we put you down, but we can't bring you back up. Right? So you got to breathe. you got to believe in both of those things. It's pretty vital, right? In baptism. But notice that the ritual of entrance into the kingdom of God and into the Christian faith isn't a push-up. It's not self-generated. It's not you, you power yourself down, you power yourself back up. No, you get yanked out of death. You get pulled out of the grave. That's the entrance, right? It makes total sense. You get pulled out of the place where you couldn't breathe. And what's the first thing you do? Inhale. <laughs> you come out of the water and you inhale. Easter, you couldn't find a better day to inhale by faith what God has poured out by grace. Breathe again. Jesus is saying, you want to come alive? This is how this works. I'll breathe out grace and you inhale it by faith. I'm a fan of the call map. I use it once a week. I use it every Sunday afternoon. Every Sunday afternoon, I turn on my call map and I pick the joy of painting by Bob Ross. And Bob Ross just kind of coaxes me when he talks about happy little bushes and I'm just, I'm just drifting off and then about 30 minutes later, there are fake birds that start chirping and that means my nap is over, right? I'm a big fan of the call map. You should try it, right? I'm, a, I'm one of the subscribers. One of the 120 million is this guy right here. It's great, but it's a poor substitute for Easter. It's, it's a nice nap, but it's not a new start. Easter is a new start. Easter is a new beginning. When God makes us a new creation, what do we learn? We learn to breathe again. We learn to breathe deeply. And, and by the way, the Christian life isn't you just inhaling. It's you breathing. You inhale and you exhale. You breathe in grace, you breathe out worship. You breathe in grace, you breathe out forgiveness, right? There's a breathing in and there's a breathing out. Anybody who wants a new start in the room, you can have it today. Breathe in. And then let's start learning to breathe in and to breathe out. Paul said, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If that's you this morning, you're like where John Tice was. And God has pulled up alongside your life and says, I want you to breathe. I want you to come to life. Then I want to ask you to do three things. The first is when I lead you in prayer, make that prayer your own. You don't have to necessarily pray it after me or say it out loud. Just make it your own. Say, these things that are being said, that matches me. God, see where my heart is. That matches me. So make these words your own. Second, when the service is over, tell somebody what God has done. And third, come back next Sunday. Come back next Sunday. And let's learn to breathe together. Breathing in grace, breathing out worship. Don't try to hold your breath till next Easter. Let's breathe week after week together in the gospel, learn to breathe with us. Let me lead you in prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I praise you that you have the power to raise the dead. I confess, Lord, every day in my life that I have tried to live apart from you every day of my life. I've tried to live outside your wisdom, outside your authority and your blessing. It felt like living, but I was dying. God, I'm realizing that this morning I've been wrong and you've been right. And so I'm turning and I'm running to you, the one place where I can breathe in this world. Jesus, rescue me. 
Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. Help me to worship you. Thank you. I don't have to earn this. I don't have to jump through hoops. This is me trying to inhale. God, help. You are delighted to save those who call for help, and this is me doing that, calling for help. Please help. And then bring renewal. Enable me by your spirit to breathe in grace and breathe out worship and breathe in grace and breathe out obedience and humility and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest and create this glorious place of transformation. Only you can do this, God. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.